Welcome everyone to the Books That Change Us podcast. My name is Don Azubike Onyebu. This podcast examines the impact of books on the lives of people. And today we have an amazing guest. And our guest for this episode is Akidolo Orevogene, better known by his comic name Forever Comedian. Forever is a fast-rising Nigerian stand-up comedian actor, writer, and a popular OAP. In 2007, he discovered his ability in comedy and has grown quickly to becoming a rising star. He started stand-up comedy professionally in 2010 and has since moved from one level to the other. He has performed alongside very big shots in the industry like the king of comedy himself, Alibaba, Julius Agu, Gordon's, Bovi, Akororo, and many others. Forever, who derives joy in making people laugh, now owns a comedy show tagged Forever Funny with Forever. He's also well sought after by his colleagues and event planners to appear at popular shows such as the Experience Lagos with audiences of over 500,000 people, Alibaba January 1st concert, AY Live, Stand Up Nigeria, and many others. You can find him most of the time thrilling audiences with funny and intelligent jokes at events and also creating content for the social media. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me as I welcome to this show and this podcast, Forever Comedian. Thank you so much. So, so I wanted to ask a little question. Um, you're a comedian. Um, yeah. I wanted to know how how did you get into comedy? Um, so basically, it was uh, it was by mistake. I stumbled into it. Let me let me use that word. Interesting. So in 2005, I went to visit my grandma. And I, so I saw people laughing because I slept. It was a Saturday morning, so when I woke up, I heard people laughing. And after which I woke up, saw they were watching Night of a Thousand Laughs. And I was, that was the first time I ever saw stand-up comedy. So it was a good that I was performing then. And after watching, I was like, I can't do this thing. Interesting. It's not just to be funny and to tell funny stories. I, I'm actually funny, so because I, I know that I'm funny. So that was where um, the seed of comedy was sown in me, because... I did not know of anything on stand-up comedy. So one year later, I said, let me try it. So in 2007, um, February 16, 2007, was the very first time I climbed um, a stage to tell jokes. So then I was in school. After a while, I started earning money from me to the point that I was able to pay my own fees, pay my rent, get out for my education with the money I got from comedy as a student. Like, yeah, yeah. So this productive. <laughs> when I was done with school, now all this while I was still not that I was still not a comedian. I still had the dream to be a mechanical engineer. So when I was done with school, and I realized that, oh, young man, there's no work in this country. If as a student, you could make so much to take care of yourself as a student, with all the divided attention of schoolwork, fellowship, everything, 
if you now focus 100% on this athlete business, you should be able to make more. So that was where I got into comedy, starting after I had that conversation with myself that if I focus on this thing more and put my attention on it, I would achieve greatness. So that was how I got into comedy. Interesting. So, so what was your first day? Your your first day like? What what did what what was it like? It was actually great um, because so the, the strategy I used was I create I had jokes that I created already. I had these jokes for like a year because in 2006 I was looking for a platform to tell to perform the few jokes I had. In the whole year, I did not get one place to perform. Wow. Yes, in the whole year, I did not get one single platform. Even my fellowship did not allow me. They would say, okay, we'll call you, we'll call you, we'll call you, the program finished. And so the, that very first day, because it was my first time, so what I did was uh, I used to have Gandoki's jokes that I knew were very funny because I've seen him performing, people had laughed to those jokes. It was my first time, so I needed to be sure of myself. I didn't want to start with my own jokes that I was not sure were funny because nobody had ever heard them. Okay. And so I didn't want to get a bad start. So I started with the Gandoki joke and people laughed. I told the second one, people laughed. So when I was not sure that people had laughed, they kind of pretend that this guy is funny. I now told my own personal joke on the very first day and people also laughed. I said, wow. So that was what, you know, built the confidence that I can be original to them on this. After people laughed also to my own joke. So the first day was actually very, very good in terms of the response. Interesting. Awesome. Awesome. I wanted to know, so you said earlier on that um, I know I am funny. Um, so yeah. you know there's a difference between being funny and being able to perform as a yeah. comedian. So where did you, was it a skill or you just think it came natural? Um, first of all, um, it came natural when it was not on stage. Uh, but before that time, while I was in secondary school, I was one of the people conducting the assembly before we go to class in the morning. So I already, I was also in fellowship, I was in scripture union. I was a very active member in fellowship. So I had mastered communication skills because you can be funny, but you might not be able to tell it. And it, because being funny, it's funny to you, but to, for it to be funny to someone else, you have to communicate it for the person to get it. So I already mastered before this time how to communicate, how to talk to a large number of people seated in a particular space. So it was another advantage for me that I was already talking to people normally. So all I needed to do was, so I watched a lot of the comedians and I understood deliveries, this is how you tell a joke. Um, so it just so, what I would say is that it came natural as a talent, but because I was skilled, I had trained myself in talking to a public, it's connected properly. Interesting. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So I wanted to ask, have you ever had a bad day as a comedian? <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> Please tell us about it. Uh, it was the first one I remember was 2008. Uh, some youth core members were selling in They were having an event at the Sadness. And then they say forever, ah, we know you're very funny. We've seen you perform at different places. Come and perform for us. I've forgotten how much I haven't charged them. So they made their position statement and went to the officer's mess located in the division barracks of the Nigerian Army. The event started that there were soldiers in the event. Other UCO members told the first joke. It bounced back to me. 
Wow. So the second joke came back void. <laughs> came back so void. So the third joke, and there was darkness in the room. I say, hey. Wow. <laughs> I thought my mind, my sister started telling my brother, it's like there's God's room close to this place. So. <laughs> <laughs> and so, by the grace of God, I went for a break. As the DJ started playing music, I started dancing. The dance was not funny. They were not laughing. Ah, I said the dance rescued me. Wow. I left them. I didn't call. I didn't ask them for balance till today. And they didn't care to give to you. Why would they? Did I perform? <laughs> I, did, I did not. I did not deliver. <laughs> Normally, I should refund their money first for eating the free food I ate in that place. Wow. It was. It was a terrible performance. It was terrible. But, but what did you learn from that? To be honest, the only thing I learned from that is that there are things like that in every comedian's life. Okay. Because the jokes I told them, I told them in other places. And they were well received. So I just understood that every audience is different. And so you must be versatile enough. So when you meet a difficult audience, find a way to crack them up. But because I was new in the game then, I didn't know what else to do. So that's why I stopped. Okay. You wanted to say you wanted to tell us another one. Yeah, there was another one. That one. Well my me and one of my friends then were looking for platforms. So we trekked from okay, I, I don't know every people that were listening to this would not have the map of anyone in their hands. So we trekked like an close to two hours to the event venue because we did not have transport for uh going and coming wow. we only had transport for one way so if we would take transport there the event will close late we'll trek back so we had to trek there we started trekking like past five we got there like to eight and when we got there they did not allow us to perform why uh, we got there late oh they were ending up we now had to take transport back home that was when I understood what Israelite went through from, <laughs> from Egypt. It's just what? that we didn't see Red Sea to cross. If I saw Red Sea to cross, I think I could have drank water. But it was, <laughs> it was bad. And we tried to the point that, at a point, I believe my shadow took bus and left me. That I can't die. Wow. It was, Checking for it, was a work of, it was a work of faith. Wow. Wow. Wow, wow! So when when people see you now, they don't they don't they don't know all those things about you. Well, yeah, they say ah, see this guy just came out from nowhere. Don't worry, because I was homeless. Where do? Ah, <laughs> you came from literally from nowhere. Nowhere. <laughs> you just blue poof. You just ah, who is this guy? Who is this new kid on the block? Well, how, how long have you been blood, doing yeah. comedy now? Okay, so the very. Uh, professionally, 2010, that's when I started. Okay, that's because right. that was when that I was, was done with 11 school. years, yeah. yeah so this makes it 11 years. December 21st, 2010. But if I add, when I, the first time I told the joke was February 16, 2007. So that's, that's some years now. Interesting, interesting. Uh, uh, before we, we talk about the books that have changed your life, um, I want to ask a question, and I'm sure that you also may have been thinking about it. And, and this is the question. Why do people often mistake um, comedians for people that um, are 
are unintelligent people. I'm not sure whether you've gotten that vibe, but I, I tend to... I have, I have. Yeah, so, so wh- why do you think that is? Uh, because I personally think that, basically because the job of a comedian is to make people laugh. And when comedy started in Nigeria, they were not... Alibaba and just Mohamed Anjuma were just a few people who were telling jokes. Okay. The rest of them were clowns. Uh, who would dress in funny ways? Who didn't? Who didn't really need to see anything to say? They just acted in funny, some would say stupid ways. So they were all regarded as jester. Okay. And so that created like a basic image for the average comedian. So it got to the point that you go to a place. Because people know that you're a comedian, they expect that they might get to the place, you should just be talking, 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 talking for people to laugh. So when they see you sit down quiet, observe, they're like, ah, you're not a comedian. I say, yes. You're you just calm and cool. Though. I say, so what should I do? I thought that you come in and you said to be lively. I say, is he dead? <laughs> is he not lively? <laughs> Am I a transformer that will bring life to this day? So people have those notions. And then, but over the years, the perceptions are gradually beginning to change. So that is, that's basically the reason why I think people just assume that the average comedian is, is unintelligent because of the way it started. The basic, and you know, when, when this, once, once these ideologies are formed, it's very difficult for them to go away. Yeah. Um, just like people assume that every, most musicians are dropouts. It was their last choice. That was why they went into art. Mm. I think we never would not have accepted them in other forms. So that that's what I think. Basically. Interesting, awesome. That that's a great that's a great um, answer. Okay, so you're a lover of books. Yeah. Wow. So so tell us. So what what uh, what do books mean to you, or what do books generally do for you? Also. I so somebody asked me once that why do I believe the way I believe? I say because I'm a Christian and my values are formed by what I believe. The things I believe are from the things I read. And so because I'm a Christian, I don't I've not seen God personally, physically, but through the Bible that I've read, I've come to know God and it has formed my values. So I for me books uh, as, as a way to correct you to make you into who you are meant to be because uh, we do not know ourselves in total we do not we might have hidden potentials in us but we might not know how to express them the book can unlock it you might be going through a tough time you do not know what to do a book can unlock it uh. so to me I personally believe that books um, transform people to become who they really should be, or books allow people to assess certain level of potential that they have, uh, that they possess, but we know how to do this. Interesting. Thank you very much. I, I think that that's really uh, an awesome answer. Books correct, books inspire, books teach. When we come back, Forever Comedian shares with us the books that has changed his life.
welcome back forever shares with us the books that have changed his life what are the books that have changed your life there are quite there are many um, first of all the bible is number one it has it has, it has changed my life in the years it has made me who i am okay. um, so i think that for any christian that is on this platform that should generally be an answer okay. for everyone okay. so aside that the very 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 first thing that made me start seeing life differently was your missing book know your limit ignore them okay know your limits okay then ignore them i read that book to the point that somebody came saw the book know your limits ignore them i refused to ignore the limits and stole the book <laughs> <laughs> the limit of the person was to steal it the person really ignored the limit he stole it he stole my book that book changed my life uh, and then i became the father of john mason from there i read his other book limitation limitation is limitation and then after no your limit ignore them uh, limitation is limitation uh, then the one that exposed me because i knew that i had the potential to lead when i get into a space i don't like seeing things going wrong and put my hands and let it go back i want to make changes and It's that one irrefutable laws of leadership by John Maxwell. Okay. It transformed my way of reasoning. Transformed me in time. I started seeing things differently. Uh, there is one of his books I cannot remember. I don't know what I forget. But then when I read, he had a green cover. And that was a particular book that had this quote that people don't care how much you know until you know how much you care. I guess that would be be a people person. Exactly, be a people person. Yeah. So that's one of the books. Then um, a couple of Pastor Chris books. One of them is Seven Spirits of God. He transformed my relationship with the Holy Spirit, and uh, quite a number, many other books. One of the one of the recent one I read was. Uh, The man is about to feed by just my okay um, I think I read then I was just focusing on your match when I when I had one and it changed everything I just continued <laughs> I just kept going and going and going and going okay and then oh. a couple of really post books as well okay awesome let's talk about know your limits by john mason um yeah. so at, at what point in your life did you did you find that book and you know what what was it uh, about the book that really impacted you okay so i had this roommate in school country i go for it that the guy was a bookworm The guy read anything. The guy can even read Mr. Pike and read the. He will read the prescription. He made the guy read anything. Hmm. If you can buy a tablet, he will read everything. So I liked the fact that the guy was somebody who liked reading books that were not just books, but reading books about life. So it was from his hand I picked that hand. Hmm. And so when I started reading. Um, that's know your limit, ignore them. Then I realized that 
there was more to life than just wanting to be rich because I came from a poor background and the greatest dream I had to be honest was to have money to hammer <laughs> to just hammer to come out of poverty because that was the dream of every almost every guy from Delta City when mm. you when you check around you you won't see anything like that looks like success you see everybody drive you can't and nobody are more than the people that they will carry so mm. when I started reading the book I started seeing it was so real it was like life written in alphabet and one of the quotes that caught my attention was when he said with the man you are with the boy you are the proud of the man you will become Mm. Mm, that's a good one and then I, I sat down honestly I dropped the book I also remember when I was with I actually just I asked myself well, forever the man you are the man you are tomorrow you mean nothing but will I be proud of that man mm. I kept reading so he started saying things like you have to be deliberate about the kind of person you want to become because if you just go through life in every other person Will this guy be proud of the man he will become, knowing fully well that you are the opportunity to change this thing, to make it to the kind of life you want to have? You have the opportunity to create that life, and that's when I knew that I'm not dropping this before. <laughs> yeah. That's when I knew as well. I was hooked, and then I continued. Continued reading, and then he made a statement again that there is nothing like an overnight success. Yeah. That and on that book, and I quote words for words. He said everything that you see as an overnight success took at least ten years for it to be achieved. The same way you are an overnight success to a lot of people. Exactly, but they didn't have the new comedy for over ten years. It was in that book that I learned the power of positive confession. So when he was, he wrote a story about Conrad Hilton. Yeah. That um, the Conrad Hilton Hotel belonged, it was formerly one of Astoria Hotel. And the guy would drive past the Conrad Hilton Hotel every day. The guy would be confessing that I'm going to buy this hotel, I'm going to buy this hotel, I'm going to buy this hotel. After a while, after working hard, after many years with that. He eventually bought himself. The book was showing me that it could be anything that you want to be in life. You could achieve where you want to be. And it practically transformed me. Yeah. It was that book I understood that there is nothing like the perfect situation. Yeah. Now people wait for everything to be perfect before you start. He says, no. He says, start where you are. It's not a matter of fact, if you are waiting for the perfect situation, before you get it, life has moved beyond that place. You start again. <laughs> mm. So that book practically changed me. Practically. There's one quote that you also use. There's no right thing to do a wrong, a wrong thing. Mm. There's no what? There is no there is no right way to do a wrong thing. Okay. <laughs> there is no right way to do a wrong thing. And the, that book, to be honest, fifty percent of who I am is that book. 
interesting. 50% of who I am. I read that book 2010. I've read it like, I believe I read that book up to six times before the person I didn't know his limits told me. <laughs> and there was, there was one chapter. He said, do more. No matter what you have done, do more. There is always more to be done. So we cannot now settle for the past achievements that we've achieved. And I've achieved this now, which is again. Mm. Just do more. Keep doing. Just do more. It was it was a great one. It was a very good performance. Interesting. That's that's actually very, very good. Uh, that's a good one. Um. Okay. So maybe before we end, uh, l- let's talk about John Maxwell. Um. You talked about yeah. the twenty-one irre- irrefutable laws of leadership. Uh. Yeah. So. So what? What was it about that book that changed your life? And wh- where were you at that point in your life? So at that point, um, I was, I was made a leader in fellowship. Okay. So, I did not like the way the previous leaders operated not every one of them sir but i did not like the way i felt that they were too emotional there were things that could have been done but because they were thinking of what would people say so i needed to improve myself in that way and so i got i i don't know how i got to know your master honestly okay i think i was looking for a your missing book and i saw your master and i thought it was the same that's how i bought it oh John John yeah. M A. <laughs> yeah, John John Marston, John Mason, the same. But that's twin. So that's how I bought it. <clears throat> After I started and when I started reading it, I now saw what it meant to be a leader. The leadership, the core of leadership is influence. You don't have to force people to follow you. That the moment they see one of one of the laws, I've forgotten the exact law. But the son of the law is that if the people can see your vision and buy into it by themselves, they will follow you. Yeah. That you did not need to force people to follow you. As a matter of fact, all you needed to do was you must be one step ahead of them. That is why they're trying to catch up using two. Mm. You always give them a reason to want to follow you. Mm. And there was one of the laws, the law, the law of the Lone Ranger. And that most times you will have an idea that people would not believe. Yeah. If you don't give up at that time, you are the lone ranger at that point. Walk it, walk that idea to the point that they will not see that, ah, this thing is working, oh, let's follow. Wow. Wow. There was um, one of the laws that really caught my attention. I'm trying to remember the law, but it was something about uh, um, driving sheep. There were, ah, I'm trying to remember. I, I, will, I will get it. Okay, I think it was a lot of navigation that you, you have to, you, you have to find a way to, because tough times will come. Mm. There are times where you need wisdom, to just lead people out of a situation. So, for example, these these things were all in my head when I went to youth service. When we were about rounding up youth service, the final parade that we must go for rehearsals before the passing out day. 
after we had gone for Riazat, the one of the coordinators now said we should all write our names and our NYC registration number. We were close to a thousand people. How would everybody write me? I was in my head. I, at that point, I was what would the master? What would the master? <laughs> what would your master? What would your master do? So I walked up to the woman and I told her that, Madam, you can see that this thing will lead to a stampede. She now asked, So what am I suggesting? And I said that for every group that partook in this match pass, each group should write their names on a sheet of paper, these different groups. Then by themselves, they will compile the names. So what it did was that it broke the people of close to a thousand to groups of about 1520. So what would have taken us like a whole day to write our names took us less than 20 minutes. So she now announced, everybody go back to your group, the group that you partook in the match pass, the leader should write the name of everybody. Well, we had in like five minutes, everybody had written their names. That was navigating our way out of that tough conflict. He, your answer was was just was just bombarding my head. <laughs> and and honestly, by the time I was done, you know, sometimes they say the leaders when you fall from the high place, you will not deserve them because I have done well. Yeah, you have tried. <laughs> I have tried. I told myself, I have tried. I have tried because it changed the way I see. To change the way I people, uh, then it's not for the love of my attitude. Because it means that you say who you are is who you attract. Yeah, you don't attract That's who you like. Who you like, who you are is who you attract. So, see, now that particular thing. So, then when you follow, I'll tell them, everybody cannot do that fellowship. Don't feel bad that another fellowship have more numbers than us. We also have more numbers than other people. It is who we are that we are going to attract. So when people feel that, ah, this is my kind of place, they will come. Uh, so he settled a lot for us and he made me a better person altogether. Uh, a better leader. There's this law, the law of the inner circle. Yeah. Uh, not, every, not everybody is permitted to get to that inner circle. I was talking to somebody over the weekend and I told her that I have few friends that I cannot just because a comedian does not mean you're my friend. Mm. When I want you to introduce I say meet my colleague, he's a comedian. Mm. I cannot say meet my friend. No, mm. he's not my friend. Mm. He's a comedian, he's a colleague. And she was like, eh? Mm. Anybody she introduced, say meet my friend. I said, everybody cannot be your friend. There's a lot of the inner circle that taught me that thing. Uh, it made me a better person altogether Interesting. in terms of relating with people and working with people. Interesting. Okay, so let, let me ask you finally about um, the Bible. So one of the things I know about you is that you're an ethical comedian. You don't abuse people. You don't swear. You don't do vulgar jokes. Um, how, how did you come... Um, how 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 did you and you said that it's the Bible that's almost like your operating software. How did yeah. you come to accept that? And did you ever feel that that was going to be a disadvantage, especially when uh, a few a, a lot of the 
uh, I don't know whether I would say a lot or quite a number of the popular comedians did not have a problem with being vulgar, swearing, and doing quite a lot of uh, all those things. So, honestly, I, I believe that um, there's this African proverb that says if you, if you make your plot look like rag, the gorilla and clean ground. Mm. So, I, I believe that who I am was able to penetrate the world. Honestly, I I, believe, I think that most of the time when people are influenced, it was one of the laws I learned from your master's book, which is the law of influence. So I, I believe that no human being, when you hear people say, this is who I am, that's not who you are. That is who the people have influenced you to become because everybody was born in. Mm. If I was born in France, I would be speaking French. Mm. So the way I behave today, I a result of the people who I've met and I've lived with. So I've collected one attitude from all of them. So as we grow older, and no, I don't like this one, you drop this attitude, you pick another one to replace it. So I always knew that if I was strong enough to retain my standards, <clears throat> I would be accepted that way. Mm. Because people are accepted the way they want to be accepted. It's mm. just that some people feel that ah, I can reach a larger audience if I compromise. Mm. But for me, it was not part of the deal because the scripture, like I mentioned, is the basis for my life. So the Bible says, "Out of the mouth of the righteous is a honey." The word "out of the mouth of the righteous" is like a honeycomb. The words from the mouth of the righteous speak life. Mm. It edifies. They say the words are seasoned with salt. So. When I want to tell a joke, does this joke, is this joke, does this joke have right standing with my faith, with my beliefs, with my values? If it doesn't, I don't tell it. I watched a Netflix uh, comedy special recently that had like six American comedians on one on one set. I was watching with a friend and I told my friend that you can see that there was a particular lady that was performing. I see, something tells me that this lady has a Christian background. Say why I say she has not used one swear word. <laughs> All true. So after the whole show, they were interviewing them, and then she said her parents are pastors. Okay. That's... And that even up to this point, there are certain words she cannot use. Mm. That's what she said. So they were not asking her that do you think those things are holding you back? Not really, but I, I just feel that if I use those words, I'm more acceptable. But you can see that that is part of our values so it was clear that not everybody on netflix if it was an issue for netflix they wouldn't have used it mm. the jokes are funny that means there is no rule that you must use swear words mm. so i have to stand my ground and but it's working it's, and it's working it's working in fact one of the reasons why in fact a lot of people don't know that affects my first exposure to you was actually in a corporate setting um, so we, um, you, you were delegated to work with one of our clients, um, a, a multinational firm, and you know you were so ethical, you know no swear words, you know no vulgar jokes, and they asked for you over and over and over and over again. And so we've even as a company we've gotten so used to um, your services. So I, I don't think a lot of people know that, but it's very important that they know that that. You know that being clean, being clear, being uh, being 
you know being the kind of person that people would like to listen to especially even in a family setting is not a disadvantage yeah uh, it's not a disadvantage so it's actually an advantage it's a- actually an advantage interesting yeah. because I, I think also that there is a market that is not being served yeah. we don't have a lot of people like that that you can you can you can go with your family with your children to their events uh, so i think that for anyone that feels that that's a limit for them i think that the title of the book that you've talked so much about would um <laughs> would come in yeah so they have to know that limit and do what yeah and ignore it and ignore it so thank you thank you so much for spending time with us on this episode of the podcast and to our friends and our listeners our guests I hope you've enjoyed um our time listening to Forever the Preacher I, I know they don't put they don't put the, they don't put the preacher again No no because they were when I first came to Lagos they were like five different communities that had the preachers attached to them Oh so, okay so, so it's more branding to... easy and separation technique one of my mentors was like, just answer forever is a unique name. So that's how I can answer just forever. Wow. So anybody that calls me forever, I know that the person has known me for many years. Wow. Wow. And forever it is. So yes. thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much for, for being for with us. Me. Thank you so much. All right. So till we, till we meet again, keep reading, keep learning, keep shining. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of the Books That Changed Us podcast. Please share with your friends and also please remember to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts and wherever you get your podcast. Till we meet again, have an amazing week ahead.